Once upon a morning, there was a freshly brewed McCafe coffee. It was made with 100% Arabica beans, yet something was missing. Fear not, in the distance, a sausage McMuffin with egg rides toward the sunrise in quest for breakfast. The perfect pair met at McDonald's, and mornings were happy forever after. Right now, get $1 any size coffee and a $2 sausage McMuffin with egg off the $123 menu. Prices and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Welcome to your Weekend Managing Madrid podcast. Uh, this is your host, Gabe Lesra, Join, joining me uh, by the internet, interwebs, Kian Sobani. Kian, um, how's it going? I'm doing fantastic. Look forward I to this. Ha- yeah, me too. I'm psyched. I'm happy to make my uh, uh, triumphant return to the free uh, show for all you freeloaders who listen every week. I feel um, like you say that like every week. I don't know. Do you? I feel like you <laughs> take a hiatus first, I, and then come back every week. That's what. <laughs> that's maybe true. Maybe it's just that I miss doing it. So no, I mean, like I've missed the last couple. I think of free shows. I've done our midweek show. I think a couple times in a row now, but it's not the weekend show. Right. Uh, yeah. It's but yeah, blur. so I'm back, and Om Arvin also joining us. Uh, Om, I've been listening to your performances. I think you've been doing a really good job. I also am really psyched that you have your um, new mic because you sound way better. Yeah, I've been getting some positive responses from listeners um, ever since I got my mic. So definitely been a great investment. Thank you to all our patrons for making this possible because we used your money to buy this. So Hell I'm yeah. psyched to have the new mic. So if that's uh, if you like what you're seeing, you can always chip in. Because the next thing we can do is uh, update the software and um, you know buy me. Uh, another bottle of wine. So, <laughs> no. In all seriousness, uh, we do invest essentially every dollar of this back into the show so far. So next step would uh, essentially be oh. like a studio, maybe, and... or like getting. I mean, for me at least, it would be getting some shit so that my voice doesn't echo so much, but uh, on my walls at least, um, uh, or maybe getting some better recording software. That was, anyways. That's let's be pretty... clear. Your your voice is like amazing. And yeah, it's made it's for the radio. It's Alm and I who need the mic. <laughs> you could get away with uh, just recording into a, a potato or something, and it would still sound we all, amazing. We all know that's we all know that's bullshit. Though I, uh, it's funny because one of the like classic jokes that you say to people, uh, if you want to like give them an underhanded compliment, is like, "Oh man, you should do radio. <laughs> <laughs> you got a face made for radio." <laughs> Uh, so yeah, let's talk about Real Madrid. Um, big, big win for Madrid this week for nothing against Alavis, um, who are still, you know, they were kind of a revelation last season. Then Madrid took <laughs> a couple of their best players and now they're not, not quite the same team. Um, so for nothing in the Bernabeu to a largely happy crowd, I think. Uh, so guys, what were your kind of overall impressions of this match? I mean, top to bottom team looked pretty good. I thought. It was a fun performance against a team that was really informed. Like Abelardo took these guys 
and they were literally dead. Like they were flipping through coaches and obviously in the post Pellegrino era and post Llorente, post Teo, um, just hasn't really worked out for them. And, you know, they signed Godetti, who, in my opinion, I'm not a, I'm not a huge Godetti fan. I, I appreciate what he brings to the table at some points, but he's not a, like a lethal finisher or anything. But I think the biggest difference for them is Abelardo's had them playing really good. So you kind of go into this game thinking, well, they, you know, they've had a couple losses right. in this huge run. One was against Barca, one was against Bilbao. And you think, you know, they'll probably give you a tough game. And I thought they... They gave some trouble in the first half, but nothing crazy. And I thought, unlucky for them, which Abelardo also mentioned after the game, was that they were facing Real Madrid's best moment of the season in terms of like form in the calendar. Like they, They're just kind of surging right. right now. And I thought it was like a really fun performance, which we'll get into. But um, obviously, the highlights here were, were BBC and... It's kind of interesting, though, when you look at it. It's not like your traditional front three BBC. It was kind of like a quartet in a 4-4-2 because Bale played on the left, uh, and it wasn't so much a 4-3-3, and Lucas Vasquez was the fourth player who was who was really good in attack. Right. I, I mean, it was certainly uh, kind of a banner game for uh, Lucas Vasquez, who really exploited the huge, vast amount of space that he was given on that side, given that the BBC seemed concentrated on the other side of the pitch, kind of combining with each other. Though, again, it was very, I mean, it was this kind of classic BBC game where there was a lot of shifting around, a lot of intermixing, and a lot of, um, you know, just creating outside of sort of the normal structures that we would see. Although, Lucas Vazquez very much the opposite of that. <laughs> just if you look at his his heat map, I remember like this is another classic Vasquez game in that you could just draw a line directly down the center of the pitch, and he literally there was it was hot on that one side and totally nothing on the other, which was funny. Yeah, I mean it's also like you bring up the heat map, but the other thing that's interesting about that is like you look at Bale. Bale was obviously uh, really pretty pretty focused on the left flank, and that's where he he was. And also, Benzema and Ronaldo also were attacking from the left a lot. So you kind of had this overload on the left flank. But then you had Carvajal and Lucas Vazquez in particular hugging the right flank. So anytime Real Madrid could switch the play, Alaves kind of just had to sh- would really collapse. So I thought the point of emphasis on the flanks was it was used really it was really conducive to Real Madrid scoring goals the way they had it set it up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh- so, Om, did you, I mean, what what were your thoughts on sort of the tactical setup and then the uh, the way that it all kind of unfolded? So, I, I, I was a bit surprised with how conservative Alaves came out to, to contest the match, essentially. Uh, because like Kian said, they, they had picked up form since, since they brought on Avalardo as a new coach. And I expected them to come out and do more, but... They, they, they were content to basically sit back most of the game and allow Real Madrid to come onto them. And I don't know if that was the best strategy because if there was one criticism I had of Real Madrid the entire game is that we looked a bit sloppy passing out from the back, especially in the first 20 to 30 minutes of the game. And whatever token pressure Alaves applied on our back line had some kind of effect. And we tended to give the ball away stupidly for whatever reason and I, I felt like if Alaves tried a, a more consistent, more structured high press, 
coupled with the high line, it would have been more effective. But essentially, they just allowed us to to get over our our our. I don't know if if complacency is the right word, but just our lull in the little bit in that first part of the first half. We got over it and and we got into our rhythm, and then it was basically over for them because essentially, Zidane didn't really do anything special. But what I did enjoy was that it was a fairly structured four four two in that players knew their roles. They they played within those roles and it it all looked very nice as a team. So if you look at the heat maps, if you look at the pass map, it looks like a really nice balanced four four two with everyone playing within their roles. And I think BBC they benefited from that kind of structure and that support. So Bale, I think he had eight out of eleven dribbles. Benzema had seven key passes. Ronaldo had eight shots, four of which were on target. So they were just able to combine in the final third and just wreak havoc on Alaves. And Zidane just sat back and let that happen. And, you know, that's that's good enough. It, it We beat Alaves 4-0. And I think I, I was just really happy with, with, yeah. with their performance and the way they worked within the context of the team. I mean, it's certainly happy, or it's certainly enough to uh, against a, a team that was sort of struggling like Alaves. Uh uh, I mean, like, obviously they turned it around under Abelardo, but I think that, that you know, it, when you get these guys firing, there are almost no defensive lines in the world that can contain them, and much less a Alaves defensive line that was struggling. And, you know, they what was really interesting about this match, at least for me, was that if you actually, like, you know, looking at the kind of vast array of attacking talent on Real Madrid – Everyone looked really good. This was not a game where essentially this was a game where essentially no one was struggling. And even players that had, you know, previously in the season kind of gone on and off a little bit, like Teo had good games. I mean, I thought Teo was one of the most, you know, the brightest lights of the match in, in a lot of circumstances. I mean, like he lost the ball a couple of times, but I mean he had that he turned on that tail from last season look that we'd seen only flashes of so far, and he had a pretty consistently solid game, I thought. Teo was relative to what we've seen of Teo this season. Like I'm, I'm trying to think back to stand-up performances from him, um, which haven't been many since there he joined. There have been a couple, but not like, and more like, I remember I've had to def- de- defend myself a lot with Teo just because, like, and mm. this is not a, like trying to take a victory, like, because he could easily turn around and, and put up a clunker, but like just saying like he has all of the elements there that you want when you're desi- like when you're talking about a long term, you know, high end uh, a wing back. And it's like the power, the 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 speed, um, the touch on the ball, like yeah. he's he's got it all. Like he's he's an absolutely elite prospect. We've seen him put it together, and this is a match where he put it together. That's basically what I'm saying. And like we yeah. hadn't seen him put it put it together for a full match. I mean, maybe once or twice this year. That's it. Right. No, I think the closest thing we saw was against Sociedad in Anueta, where he, to me, I thought he got the better of Odrio Sola in that match. And it was a really fun back-and-forth duel between the two. And in this game, I think, like you mentioned, a couple of his touches, like within the span of like three minutes in the first half, there was a moment where he just kind of dribbled into two or three players. And then on the other end, he has a really heavy touch and, and... can't control a pass and Real Madrid concede a chance. But I think those are the things like you even saw Gareth Bale dispossessed like five times in this game and he also had a great game. And I think what we saw from Teo was like to your point, Gabe, also, is that he has all the tools to be a 
really, really good left back. And there's no reason he shouldn't be, considering his pace, his power, his strength, um, his ability to cross, sh- sorry, shoot. Cross, he is not all there yet. But, I like, he has the tools, right? And I think you saw, especially in the second half, where he would just carve through players. And then you were like, wow, this was this was like Alaves' tail showing up here. Right, what, and like, look, I, I didn't... I, we didn't watch every Alavis match, so saying it's Alavis' tail, like, yeah, he, 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 but he also put up some like clunkers at Alavis too. Like, it wasn't just he wasn't coming out and just dominating every game like that when he was there too. So, but, but what we did see is like him in kind of the vintage, the reason we all thought of him and think of him still as just this extremely elite prospect. Sorry, Om, go ahead. I was just gonna say that what I noticed with with Tail was how. Uh, in addition to what you guys were saying, how just individually he looked better, he also seemed to understand his place within the team better in the sense that he was on the same wavelength as everybody else because in the past, he just didn't seem to know when to time his runs, when he should check his runs and let let the winger next to him make that overlapping run, how to time his crosses, when he should take on players, and he just seemed very hesitant and uncertain. He didn't seem to know how to work in 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 conjunction with the rest of the team and i think versus alaves we saw him take that step where he understood basically how he was supposed to go about doing everything and how that worked in relation with the rest of the team and so i think that's what allowed him to then put up really great numbers that showed how good his individual performance was because he he had three key passes um he had five dribbles completed, and he managed two shots on target. I mean, those are spectacular figures for a fullback, even an attacking fullback at Real Madrid. And I think that just goes to show how he's slowly maturing in at Real Madrid. And I think that that also shows why we need to have patience with, with young players like this. Because if we go back and we look at players like Ramos and Marcelo, it's not like they came to Real Madrid and they just took off immediately. They had spells like this where they struggled to understand how they were supposed to work within different ca- tactical schemes. And it took several seasons for them to get used to it and become the players that we know. And I think these sorts of games gives us reasons to be even more patient and give Teo time because eventually he is going to be able to produce matches like this consistently. We just need to remember what the development process looks like. Exactly. That's that's such an important thing to remember. And that's and and that's still true for like all of these young players. Like it, even Asensio ha, ha, isn't always putting out that v- like vintage, absolute like world-beating form. No one is other than they're like, Cristiano and Messi, and we've gotten so uh, obsessed with you know these two players and imagining what, but like we forget that the what the world of sport really looks like, and these two guys are such world-beating gods. And like even when Cristiano was struggling, you know that was that was such a shock to us, right? <laughs> because he's this is not a person who struggles. He's not anymore, uh, and we expect now like him to go out and score once or twice every single game. The same with Messi all the time. So like. But that's not really the way even the elite players play, like not the the humans. Uh, but even these these uh, these young guys, like we want them to go out and give a great performance every time. But like we have to we have to be patient with them, and that's one of the things that like is really getting me with the way some of our fan bases, Real Madrid fan base, has reacted to uh, some of these young players. Like the depth is still there for this team, except for the fact that we, you know, part of the depth is. A bunch of these young players and not these kind of veterans, right? Who uh, maybe a little bit more consistent. Tian, we discussed this a little bit on the last show. 
Yeah, because um, the the problem with the way everything you both you guys are saying is one hundred percent correct. Like, there's no question because we know the leash that certain fans have, and it's and by the way, it's not just Teo who who you know we need to have patience. It's us also have a longer leash with the veterans also, like with with players like Marcelo who are far from perfect every single game, and you kind of go down the list, and it's just. No player is immune to having flaws and making mistakes. And again, like this is, I think the most staggering thing about all this is the fact that winning and scoring goals masks so many of our problems and it changes our tone completely. I don't know if it was the patron podcast we were talking about it, maybe with Om last week, but you yeah, all of a sudden yeah. you see Ram, maybe I think it was Gabe actually, because we were talking about the ketchup bottle and stuff. And. <laughs> All of a sudden, the last six, seven games, Real Madrid is surpassing their expected goals every single game, and so everything everything changes. The tone changes, our our expectations change, our our leash with the players change. Um, the problems get masked, and then so we list the problems secondary. Whereas when we lose, we 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 list the the good things secondary. And I think that's just like kind of nature the of, of the nature of our fan base, or probably every fan base, is that. Um, winning solves everything at this point, and it, this it does. Is, and scoring, I mean, like scoring, scoring yeah. solves everything. <laughs> I mean, you look at like we fan the fans complain a lot about crosses and stuff, and we only twenty two is um, might be a lot of crosses for the general like average team, but it's also like lower than our average, our yeah. own average at home, especially, um, and everything. In this game, a lot of it was emphasized on the flanks. Look at the heat maps. Look at the pass maps. Um, look at the emphasis of getting the ball to Varane and Teo. Uh, or sorry, Teo and Carvajal. And then getting it up to Vasquez and Bale. And, and the movement in the final third was good. Kovacic and Casemiro would distribute it out wide. There wasn't much carving through the middle in the final third. And no one cared that we were crossing because we were deadly like we were we were deadly right. in this game and when the ball was like and and they're like on the, on the various goals that would go out wide and then they would find someone in in the middle who would either play it on or take a shot i mean like it was and and it wasn't always like crosses in the air it was also crosses like <laughs> on the ground and yeah. and all that but it all counts sort of as a cross and like i mean i mean it you're totally right right like no one is I didn't hear a single person saying we crossed like Real Madrid crossed the ball too much. Like I didn't see that. I mean, it's possible people were saying that, but it, it would be a very minor nit to pick in this match where Madrid scored four goals um, and had an, you know, expe- quite a high expected goals too. So like one of the cool things about this also is that, yeah, we said that the expected goals stuff would even out. We said that all the goals would come, you know, all, the whole idea of the catcher bottles, what I was saying, but like, also, this isn't like a game where Madrid had, you know, scored four goals but only had like one expected goal. This is a game where Madrid had, you know, expected goals of like 2.8 plus a penalty. So like yeah. it was quite high. Yeah. And I think and by the way, I I I think the crosses thing like look, Real Madrid when they play like this, it's it's very chaotic to deal with for a defensive line. And it's not like Alaves are this defensive juggernaut, but I think like we saw the chaos it brings even against a team like PSG. If they get it wrong, if they start, they switch off or they play a hind line, those crosses, like those uh, those one touch crosses that are low driven on the ground that come from like Asensio and Bale, 
and Marcelo we've seen do it often, like Benzema, those are so deadly. They can destroy teams. Yeah. And honestly, like, no one cares that we go to the flanks when we're creating that much danger, that level of danger. And and when when like for example, there's a question coming up about Lucas Vasquez. Like the question is essentially from a patron who says, and we'll get into it, but he's asking what has changed for Lucas in the past few games? Like how how simplistic would it be, but how correct would it be to be like, look, he just went into another gear. Like all of these all of these off ball movements we're seeing from the team, some of the things that are getting fixed schematically, and you see the progression from the game against Betis where we saw Casemiro and Kovacic together. And then you saw them together for the second time in a row, and then for the third time in a row. And in each game, the scheme changed a bit to benefit them. And those subtle changes changed the complexion of the game completely. Because against Betis, the same four four two was getting overrun because Bale was in one of the advanced positions. He wasn't helping from deep, and he definitely wasn't helping on the left flank. And Kovacic and Casemiro, the whole team neither was horizontal or vertically compact. And then some of that got remedied in like a 4-2-3-1 the next game against Leganes. And then in this game, you put Bale on the left, Vasquez on the right, and they're both very intelligent two-way wingers. And yep. and things change. And Benzema is obviously not a pure nine. He's doing a lot of really good work from deep, as you saw in on the, the play where he stole the ball and then he launched a counter and Bale scored. All of these things matter, and there's like progression and baby steps being taken, and and these are just I don't know why we don't see these things earlier in the season, but we see them now, and that's why kind of like we don't complain as much. Definitely, I mean, and obviously that was the big problem this season. We didn't that Madrid didn't kick this gear on until the last couple of you know this last month basically, and. That is a real problem. I mean, Madrid will not win La Liga now because of that, and they won't really even challenge for it. And if they, you know, had been a little bit luckier, maybe they would be at least be able to challenge for it. But that's just the way this kind of season has crumbled. And you know, it, I mean, I, the the Madrid's best shot is still the Champions League, and there are a lot of very good teams. So I think it's despite like the good feelings now, it's very possible that this is a season that maybe ends with Madrid feeling okay about the way that they played in the second half of the season, but not good about the, the trophy hall, which is going to probably be fair. I, uh, so let's, I wanted to go through a couple more performances that I, that I had of note. Um, I actually had an interesting, I actually disagreed with some of um, Matt's player ratings, not in terms of ratings, but just in terms of like, uh, yeah, for example, Citrix, Citrix, Cedric. Ooh, Citrix. Sorry, yeah. my bad. Yeah. I thought Matt did. Oh, well, I mean, he did the usually, tactical. They usually flip it, but this this yeah. time they did it differently. Yeah. So, um, I wanted. I just again, we talked about Kovacic. I want to bring Kovacic up again. I thought he was extremely good, uh, and just another. Just I thought subtle but really command performance from him, and it's amazing, Keon. We talked about on the <laughs> midweek show, but it's amazing that. Even a couple of years ago, we were thinking this kid is is nothing. Like we should loan him out. <laughs> but he is just every time he comes in, he just feels more and more like he is the actual heir apparent to Modric, and like he he even plays like him. <laughs> um, it's crazy. Again, like I'd be interested to hear what Om says too. But it's crazy how much different a player can look in 
just an adjusted scheme. And I thought against Betis, the reason why that double pivot really didn't work was for the reasons we've already mentioned a million times, so I don't want to rehash it, but um, it's just you surround him with better players and in a tighter scheme, it's just better. And I think like one of the, the things that, that for example, the four two three one against Leganes provided was you have defensive help because you have a packed midfield and then you have creators offensively that can re- relieve some of the burden of creating through the middle. Um, and in that game, like, for example, Lucas Vasquez was really good and and Kovacic also stepped up and he was a ball carrier in transition, but he also get, had good coverage if he, if he ventured forward. And Bale and Lucas Vasquez both did a lot of work defensively yeah. in this game. And I think... That's one of the things like Lucas Vasquez might go unnoticed. Like he had a really good offensive game, but Alaves didn't threaten much. But I think one of the reasons why they couldn't was because their counterattacks consisted a lot of Sobrino or Pedraza um, going on the counter on that flank, and Vasquez completely shut them down. And he worked really hard off ball. And I think all those things matter. And the thing with Kovacic that he it's important for him, I think, is that he needs to be invo- involved. So one, like we saw Gareth Bale involved, he had the second most touches on the field and seven dribbles. And that's uh, the best version of Bale is alpha, alpha male Bale. We know that. Um, but Kovacic also has been a funnel in the last two games with the ball in terms of bringing the ball in transition and binding the team together and having a lot of touches. And, and I think that is really important for him. Yeah. So um, what do you think? I mean, like, is yeah. You know, What's <laughs> what has changed for us with him? I mean, like obviously, like he's become an absolutely essential player. Is this, you know, is and there's still room to grow here, right? Like so, so I mean, did you have the same impression about, of him this match as we did? So, yeah, I mean, I I felt he had I felt he had a very good game. He's, I think the the most underrated quality of Kolacic is. His ability to run with the ball. I, I think he completed five of five dribbles. And if you look at his dribble completion rate, he had the highest last season. I think it was around 80%, which is ridiculous for the amount that he dribbles. And this season, I'm sure it's as high as well. Um, but I'm not I'm not as sure um, that, the, that the system changed that much from Betis to, to, to this match. I think it had more to do with the way... Uh, Alaves approached this game in contrast to Betis. So I I would agree with Kian that this scheme looked tighter. Like this 4-4-2 looked tighter. It looked more organized. It looked better. But I think that had a lot to do with how Betis was a lot braver in the way they attacked us and how they controlled the game and also the fact that they used positional play. And they basically consistently tried to create overloads everywhere. They manipulated our shape successfully. They dominated possession for large portions of that game. And they really made it difficult for us. And they, they outnumbered us in midfield with the narrow positioning of their wingers. And it's always tough if if you're not going to press properly with the 4-4-2 and you're not going to be necessarily that organized. And I think that's why Kovacic, Kovacic and Casemiro looked overrun that game as opposed to Alaves where they didn't really press us and they allowed us to control the game. So I think that played a large part of it because Alaves's the passes per defensive action they allowed, um, or, or their passes per defensive action score was 12.54. So they allowed 12.5 passes 
per defensive action in our own half as opposed to Betis, which was around nine. So that represents a big difference in in one team that pressed very high and made yeah. it very difficult for Casemiro and Kovacic to play out from the back. And then Alaves, who sat a lot deeper and made things easier. Um, but having said that, I do think Bale on the left flank as opposed to Asensio. So I, I like Asensio a lot. I think he's a hard worker. But Bale is simply a better two-way player on the flank. He provides more energy. And I think he, he because of his, his time in the game, he's a little smarter defensively. He provides more organization. And he's not as easily drawn out of position as Asensio can be. I think that played a role. But I do think it has more to do with the opposition than necessarily our scheme changing that much to benefit Kovacic and Casemiro. That makes sense to me. Uh, Casemiro, yeah, another another solid game shows what he does. I I will say that I would I would have liked to see him come off a little earlier. I was gonna say like compo- yanking Casemiro in the late, you know, maybe eighty three. I think he came off for Llorente. I just I don't I. Mark a little mind boggling. He needs more minutes. Like they could have done a double substitution when Ceballos came on um, in minute seventy-three. So let's quickly talk about our two um, our two uh, very wonderful adult children, Ceballos and Llorente. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ceballos finally getting some good minutes. That's really wonderful. I thought he actually looked really good when he played too. Um. The Ceballos thing might be better passed on to Om because that's key key immediate reaction writing time for me. So usually those late subs, okay. I feel like I want to pass it along to someone who who analyzes it. Yo, that's closer. that's fair. Um, what did you think? I, I I my read was actually that he was better and more involved than I'd seen him in a couple a couple appearances, not including obviously the incredibly annoying. 30 seconds against Leganes. I mean, I think that's fair. I think I think the game was fairly dead by the time he came on. So it, it was a little easier for him. But I think you could see that he came on feeling like he had a point to prove because there was all that drama about him getting literally less than 30 seconds of playing time and not even touching the ball in the last match. And then Zizou came out and apologized. And I think... Ceballos very much still wants to 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 prove to Zidane and prove to everyone that he deserves minutes in this squad. And I think you could see that in his performance. I mean, I don't know if you can pick out anything that was super special, but I, I personally could see purpose in his playing some yeah. and some desire, which which is good considering how he hasn't really gotten a lot of minutes over the season. So it's good to see that, good to see that he still has some of that hunger. Absolutely. And I hope I hope going forward we can give him more minutes in the league. Hell yeah. And um, Llorente only had like six minutes on the pitch. so Yeah, he should have gotten more. Should have gotten more. Got to get him in earlier. And like you you see with Teo, like obviously he was forced into it, but he's been growing up and he's growing into the, the season. And I think that, you know, th- these matches like this, I mean, like he, I thought he's been really, really solid last couple games, but generally, but this is a very strong match for him. And, you know, that's the kind of progression that you're looking for when you start giving players more minutes. But if the minutes are random and sporadic, only a certain type of player is really going to be able to continue to progress and and show off every single time he gets minutes. So, like, you know, there were a couple games earlier in the season where Ceballos actually played really well. He started from the beginning, et cetera. And then he just had this big chunk of time where he basically didn't play. And then he came back and he just wasn't you know didn't quite show off every time he was on the pitch which is bad and you know 
obviously Asensio was kind of the opposite. Like he was, you know, always looking really good when he got minutes. And then uh, uh, Teo, like when he finally got minutes, he's he's grown up with it. So like I, I just wish that Zidane just like I know that's a bit of a ramble. But what I mean is there are pl- every player has a different developmental curve and what they require is different. So obviously Asensio maybe didn't need, you know, to get tons of minutes to show that he was who who we all thought he was. But Ceballos maybe actually would need to get full games to grow into the game to, or to get at least a half or like 30, really 30 solid minutes, which is almost what he got this time. I mean, he got 20 uh, or so. And, you know, that's, I I would hope that Zidane sees that and understands that if he's going to develop this kid to be a go-to player, that that's what he needs to give him because he just can't otherwise. And and I think Llorente is sort of the same way. Like I, I really like when he's on the pitch. I like him a lot, but not, you know, it's obviously not like <laughs> it's not going to work if they keep not playing him or playing. It's hard to bring in a center midfield, like center defensive midfield to play for five minutes. Like that's not, you know, that's not a position that lends itself easily to just being a late game sub. I just like with that whole position. It's it's been such a huge talking point, and and it's been a talking point all season. And it was a talking point when we when we signed him. I'm like I remember all the discussions, all the questions, the articles <laughs> I wrote about Kovacic and Ceballos and stuff. Like, uh, the, what's her name who keeps at, literally asking <laughs> every single every single yes, show? Yes, the, the 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 beloved soul who who asks us every Hero. every single week. Uh, about their playing time um the answer remains the same every week by the way same, same answer. <laughs> um that Llorente look we we had this concern we we knew that he was probably going to be a third choice defensive midfielder I thought you know he would squeeze in a second but the reality is Casemiro Kroos maybe even Kovacic or sorry Casemiro Kovacic and then maybe even Kroos as a third choice DM and that's fine, um, but with with Ceballos, you were really like, we didn't lose any depth in that position, and then we added it. And even even when we didn't add, it was tough for Kovacic to break in. Now you add one one more. And Gabe, we talked about this on the Patreon podcast. If this was the idea all along, if Zidane knew there was a ten percent chance that Ceballos wouldn't break through the team, why bring him? And I did also mention, and just so sorry for the patrons who already heard me say this, but for the non-patrons, when I was discussing this with, with David Cartledge earlier in the season, um, who was connected to Betis, he said that they were completely open to to have, taking Ceballos back on loan after Real Madrid signed him. And we should have done it. If, if we knew that that was on the table and we knew that Ceballos was just not going to play, why didn't we do that? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. No, in all seriousness, it doesn't make sense otherwise. I think the only, like, as we discussed, the only, like, thing they must have thought was that he would break in and get serious run. There's the only, that's the only explanation, because otherwise it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I I mean, it's not like he hasn't had the chance, right? Because we've had injuries. We've had suspensions. There's been opportunities. It's not like... It's not like every single person has been healthy and, and right now is an opportunity. I, I'm Correct. like, let's be clear. Like we have Modric and Kroos are both injured. This is like literally what he's should be playing for. And like, nope. Instead, it's. I mean, Zidane is rolling out a lineup including Kovacic, Casemiro, and Lucas Vazquez in in 
bail in mid or like a four four two or four three three or four two three one, and none of these lineups include Savaios, which is mind boggling. And also, yeah, I is think Casemiro really that exciting in a double pivot? Like he he went up and and did a bunch of things against Leganes, but I know we all know that's not sustainable. Nor do we yeah, want to see him there. eye rolling. Like, why, if you're gonna have a double pivot and have Casemiro be basically your your extra offensive player when you want to overrun, like, what the hell? Why not just bring in Ceballos to play that position? Ugh. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting that when Modric and Kroos goes down, Zidane decides to opt for the four four two instead of sticking with his preferred three man midfield, and. Because a three-man midfield would, with Modric and Kroos out, allow Ceballos to play. So if you think about it, Casemiro, Llorente at defensive midfield, and then Ko- Ko- Kovacic and Ceballos as the interiors, That's that sounds pretty good to me. But I think it's interesting that Zidane... I mean, we've had the 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1 um, in three straight games now. And to me, that, that speaks to the fact that I, I think that Zidane doesn't really trust Ceballos for whatever reason, because we could we could easily play a three-man midfield. It's not like the, the Modric and Kroos injuries have forced us away from that. And considering we're going to play the three-man midfield when they come back, it would provide better continuity to stay within that system and yeah. give Ceballos minutes within it. And so the fact that he isn't doing that maybe tells me that he doesn't really trust Ceballos that much. And I, 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 don't, know, I don't know what to say to that because... You know, Zidane sees Ceballos in training. Maybe he sees something that we don't. But I just know I just know what I saw with Ceballos at Betis. I know with the little bright spots I've seen him this season that as as tough as, as it is to integrate him in the squad, I, I do feel that he's deserved more minutes than he's gotten. This and he's got to be... I mean, it. you're right. I mean, it's got to be something else. But, the, I mean, like, there's also this this belief, I think, that Zidane has... Luka Vazquez is just an absolute rock for him, and he just goes back to that well a lot. And, like, recently it's been coming up really well for him. But, like, as you said, a, a totally regular and normal formation could be a 4-3-3 with uh, Kovacic and Casemiro next to each other. Uh, sorry, Kovacic um, and 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 Ceballos next to each other, playing in the cross Modric role, and and Casemiro in his defensive mid role, and uh, and then with the the BBC up front, that is absolutely something that they could roll with. But instead, it's been, you know, let's bring in Lucas Vazquez, let's make sure you know Asensio is, is being played um, in a in a you know four two three one four four two, and instead of like rolling with a 433 which we, it's not like he doesn't have the players for is basically what you're saying right i think yeah and it's go ahead yeah, go, go ahead Keon. i was just going to say that it's it's tough right because like like you said gabe he's also tried to ensure that Asensio's playing and it's not like you can blame zidane for playing lucas vasquez when lucas vasquez has had his best stretch of form these past couple of games i mean over the past 5 games he has 5 assists and 2 goals i mean those are those are really good numbers and I, I I can't I can't criticize Zidane for playing Lucas. It, so it it could be that it's just it's just tough because Zidane has to juggle all of these players and in the process he's just he's just decided that Sabas is expendable. But I also think there could be a trust issue there. I mean, it's really hard to say. I mean, I don't want to pretend like any of my um conclusions are definitive here. I mean, I'm 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 throwing out some guesses here. Yeah. Well, no, totally. I think um I think in a lot of ways we we tend to compare uh, different players 
who Zidane will look at and say these are completely different players positionally and they bring different things to the table. So, um, you know, like someone like Lucas Vazquez is, is a completely different player than Ceballos and the dimension that he brings uh, is obviously completely different and Zidane likes the idea that he he's an amazing um, I don't know, maybe an amazing is a stretch, but he's a very good, very solid winger who can defend and he works hard without the ball. Um, he's able to to kind of carry forth this vision of getting the ball to the flanks and hugging the flank and, and linking up with the fullbacks and whatever. And I think Ceballos is a type of player who is best suited when he doesn't have defensive duties. So like we categorize him as, as a center midfielder, but... I'm not even sure if Zidane sees him as a player who should be as deep as Kovacic even. So I think I think in a lot of ways, Ceballos competes more with someone like Isco or Asensio, um, who can play centrally if needed and be more versatile and not be deeper. So not playing a double pivot and not play um, like a Kovacic. Like you've seen when Ceballos like has started games, like in the Copa del Rey, he'll have... Llorente and then Kovacic and then Ceballos, like an, as as kind of like the spearhead, but he's a bit interchangeable with Kovacic. But he's not doing many many defensive duties. And while I think he can do that, I think I think this is why we don't see him that much is because Zidane doesn't want to see him that deep. And when you're competing with Isco, you're you're probably in, in maybe in a tougher spot if that makes sense. Again, like if again if this was the, the situation. Why did we? I, I feel like when we brought him, it was he came out of the blue because we were like, "Oh, where is he going to play?" But also, he came out of the blue at a time where Barca seemed close to signing him. Yeah, and Barca we, also wanted him. Barca here. wanted, and and if he had gone to Barca, he would have. At the time, we didn't have hindsight, right? So we didn't know Paulinho was going to work out. We didn't know Valverde was. <laughs> Shout out um, to Paulinho for like really putting in one of the worst performances of the season in their Champions League match against. <laughs> yes, hopefully that those duds continue. But um, like we all thought, like if if they got Sabios, this is one guy who can really upgrade their their instant upgrade. Yeah. Instant upgrade, right? And, and, and this I is think we, and this is why I'm then. not. And this is exactly why I'm not a fan of of basing some of your transfer policy around preventing other teams from signing players because. No matter you can't for you can't like Barcelona will always be able to sign quality players no matter how much you want to play this game. All you can do is just focus on your needs and looking at it, fulfilling it. I mean, the reason we got rid of James, who Ceballos replaced, is because James wasn't getting enough minutes. And we we've discussed this over. People ask why did James leave, and it's as simple as that. James wasn't content with the minutes he was getting, so he left and went to Bayern. And so. From that perspective, Hamas was actually surplus to requirements. We didn't need another central midfielder to come in and and replace Hamas. And yet we did it with Ceballos because, like Kian was saying, Barca were interested in him and, and we couldn't let that happen. And while I think you can argue and say, well, Barca probably would have been better. I mean, so what are we going to do next season? So next season... Barca sees another talented young central midfielder and they want to purchase him. Do we purchase that mid- central midfielder as well and and make our depth problems even greater? I mean, it's just not a sustainable form of, of transfer business. And I, I don't think it's something that we should continue to do if that was the reason we signed, signed Ceballos in the first place. This is where I find um, the NBA uh, system 
where they have the G League and NBA teams have like a secondary team in a lower league where they can stockpile a bunch of talented players and get them to play week in, week out, game in, game out. That kind of system kind of lacks in Spanish football. And it's it'd be impossible. We have Castilla, though. Yeah, I know. But Castilla is also in third division. So you can't sign Ceballos <laughs> and put him in third division. But it would be also impossible to do unless you bought another club like City did with Girona. So it would be, I mean, it'd be nice to have something like that just just cause to get them like playing all the time, you know? That I told Gabe last week on the Patreon pod, I really like the way we're handling Odegaard right now. Like, there's no rush with him. We got him out of Castillo. He's playing every single game. He's improving every single game. He's he's making leaps. Perfect. Just we've been patient with him. He's playing. Um, I think that system should be replicated. You know, with other players, if we have them. like it, it, it made sense with theory with Fede Valverde. Unfortunately, he's not really playing, and now he's injured. But, um. Yeah, if the loan option was available for either Ceballos and Llorente, we knew this was the situation this year. It, I'll be honest, we messed up. Yeah, let's go on to uh, let's ask some questions because we've been we've been you know good 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 riff on this stuff, interesting conversation. But I think it's time. Unless you guys have any questions uh, points you wanted to make that aren't related to our uh, uh, to our, our our conversation we're about to have. This is the most we've ever answered this question about Ceballos and the playing time. So, yeah, okay. So yeah, uh, what's your name? Whatever your name is, this. Please uh, listen to this conversation. We just literally just answered your question. We didn't even read it. This is the answer to your question. You ask us every week from like five dummy accounts. Oh shit! <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, Mark Reedy asks us. Um, Another strong game from Kovacic. We've seen an inform uh, Lucas look unstoppable on the right. What has been the main reason for this form? Um, also, props for Ronaldo making a good captain's call on the pen. So let's really quickly talk about the Ronaldo thing. So last goal, uh, Ronaldo could have gotten his hat trick. Instead, he chooses to give the ball to Benzema. Um, really classy move from Ronaldo, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think everyone yeah, he- thought that. He was also, if he had scored that penalty, he would have moved ahead of Messi in the total goals across all competitions, um, which I'm sure they keep track of because they're that competitive. But I think it just speaks to how much Ronaldo values Benzema as as a partner on the pitch because there's a lot of, I mean, Ronaldo fans, or Ronaldo fanboys, I should say, are particular culprits when it comes to criticizing and hating on Benzema because you know, the narrative that Ronaldo would have like a hundred assists a season if it wasn't for Benzema missing missing his uh, his chances all the time, but you know Ronaldo obviously doesn't see it that way. I I think the penalty is that that he gave Benzema is just a very very visible appreciation of what Benzema brings. But there's also several other other times in the past where Ronaldo has spoken up about Benzema's quality. How when Benzema made that bacula assist to Ronaldo. Ronaldo pointed at Benzema to ask the fans to clap for him. How Ronaldo's gotten angry at the fans for whistling Benzema when he misses chances. I mean, say what you want about Benzema's form over the past two seasons, and I think we all know that he's declined as a player. His legacy as a player will will be one that enhanced everyone else across the pitch, especially Ronaldo. Yeah. And Ronaldo, a player who, who 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 definitely has an ego. If if he's 
out there basically openly appreciating Benzema and what Benzema does to improve his own game, I think we should take that as pretty much fact as, as Benzema. Yeah, like, I agree. We should really respect that. And it's part of like keeping Ronaldo like invested and happy. Like that's that is like this. This is a player Benzema who's grown up as a as a player next to uh, the greatest Real Madrid player in history, arguably. And uh, that's amazing. And and he's he's tailored his game to play next to Ronaldo. And you know, I mean, it's almost ten years that Benzema has been with him. If you if you look back, that's it huge amount of time and and i mean players careers a lot of the time last less than 10 years so you know he's been playing at this top level of football for only maybe 13 years and logan is very much invested in kareem but uh it's 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 amazing and 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 ronaldo has in part tailored his game to the evolution of benzema and the people that have been next to him and i think you're you're totally right that the legacy he will leave when he leaves real madrid is one of, of a consummate uh, a creator and someone who is like I don't like I, I don't know if you guys play video games but they're play, they're 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 characters in lots of video games whose entire role is to basically run around and like make other players like make other characters better and like that's sort of what Benzema does. The whole this whole discussion about Ronaldo is this is the most underrated part of when everyone asks why do we have Benzema it's like because the greatest player of all time has a say that's why like, that's a huge that's a huge factor yep yep yeah I don't so I, you know uh, what we didn't even really talk about Karim other than other than what we just brought him up now but Benzema well, it was worth talking about yeah he was um, fantastic he had seven he rules passes. man he was mm-hmm. awesome yeah. he was incredible and that assist on the first goal was absolute sex it was beautiful yeah. Incredible! It's so cool to see the BBC play and play well together. I mean, we know they're really good. I mean, just it's amazing how the dialogue in this game changes so fast. But like, just even a, you know, a couple months ago, we were like talking about how this team is not even you know in the best in the world. But like, if, when these guys are firing, they are the elite um, striking force in the world. There's no one who's as good as the three of them. I would put them up against literally any other group. So it it would be interesting <laughs> to say I know we're kind of deviating from the question which was about Kovacic but just quickly um I think it's interesting to I do like the idea that while BBC was great it was kind of the front four and Lucas Vasquez was much very much a part of this and it wasn't really a 4-3-3 as we yeah. know Bale was on the left flank. It was it was four four attacking players and Kovacic also so was four two four sort of yeah yeah, yeah. and I, what, uh, Zidane seemed to hint after the game because he mentioned the front four and someone asked him if Bale if we'll see Bale on the left against PSG and Zidane said that he actually put Bale on the left in this game because he wanted to see how he would work there. So I don't know if that was kind of foreshadowing. Amazing, like maybe we should play the player who is actually a left winger on the left wing. Like that's literally, yeah. Oh, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it probably is foreshadowing. Like it. I mean, we've been talking about Keon, and, and all of us have been mentioning how the game in the um, uh, in in Paris is going to require a solid and structured defensive response, and then the ability to break hard and and open the pitch up when we have the ball. And that's just screaming out for a player like Bale and, you know, real solid winger. So I think it's very possible we'll have Bale and 
and have him say, Bale, you need to play as a winger and not just as a, a floater. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. But so, I think I think going back to like really, really early in the podcast when Ohm was making the point that uh, Betis and Betis attacked us differently than Alaves did. It, I think one of the underrated things would be if like, you know, PSG are obviously even way better at attacking than either of those teams. And, and especially if Neymar plays, we don't know if he will because we just heard about his injury. But um, we also just can't discount what Bale brings to the table defensively. Kovacic, yeah, how about Kovacic? What, what was the question? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was actually about answered Lucas. this sort of. Oh, what's okay, the reason? Lucas. Why are these guys playing well? I mean, okay. You know, we've we've sort of already talked about that. Yeah. Um, I I I I tweeted out a graphic about um, about this where if you actually looked at the kind of average player position, like where Ronaldo was receiving passes, where Benzema, where Bale, they were all kind of on the left side of the pitch. And so I, I said, you know, look, this is there's a reason that Lucas Vazquez was receiving the ball in space so much. And it's partially because these guys were playing and interchanging really well together on the left, mm. but just generally playing really close and well with each other. But also because, like, when you have that type of <laughs> Benzema, Bale and Ronaldo combining really well together on one side of the pitch, your defense, like your instinct is to kind of shuffle everyone over. So whenever Lucas could receive these long, like, switch in plays or even when Real Madrid would move the ball quickly across the pitch back he would re- re- receive a ball and be able to run at a defense that was trying to rush back to get into position to play against someone who again he just he wasn't straying from his winger position he was a right winger and he wasn't gonna receive the ball anywhere other than the right wing basically yeah and uh, he did so much defensive work I think that was one thing that yeah yeah you know, I mentioned quickly but um Sobrino, Pedraza, these guys just really struggled to on counterattacks because Lucas Vesquez was always there working really hard. And that's that's a big asset. Yep. Drauzi uh, Dos Santos uh, asks us, um, out of all this, summer, uh, this season's summer signings, who do you think has seemed most promising? I know people have criticized him, but I think Teo has played very well. Um, mm. Most promising, I mean, the summer signings were... Teo Ceballos, like the actual signings, right? Not Llorente, not um, you know, some of Vallejo. the... Vallejo. Um, I, we're not counting Vallejo. I, get, I think we should count Vallejo. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, just, I would just because it makes it easy, right? Because then Vallejo is the most promising. Yeah, for me, Vallejo is uh, the most promising. He is... Um, if he can figure out his injury issues, he is an all-timer. I think he'll be a Real Madrid lifer like... Um, I mean, like everything that you see from him is already elite. Like that's he's mm. young, he's extremely exciting, and he's already elite, right? Teo, we talk about as a prospect because he has to improve on a couple aspects of his game and make sure that he can do it consistently. Vallejo, not a problem for me. I would I would be happy to play him when he's healthy. I'd play him against literally anyone. Agreed. I'm not sure if I have anything to add to that. I was trying to think back who are our summer signings, and you guys actually have to remind me. But Vallejo um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, on his when on his day, he's even at this age, you can tell he's going to be a generational defender. Um, he just we just need him to stay healthy, and that's the bottom line. I mean, and and the rest, and in, in terms of like performances, he's obviously we just don't really have sample size with 
with Ceballos and Llorente. Like we we just go by based on what we've seen from the last season. I will say about Ashraf, I would never put him in this conversation of most promising, like in terms of like where Vallejo is. But I will just quickly say that he's surprised me in some ways because I really thought he was raw, and I think he is still really raw. But I think what he surprised me was not the fact that he hasn't really been good offensively, but defensively his IQ is much higher than I gave him credit for previously. Yeah, and I think I that the fact that he's good defensively and understands things defensively and has pace um, gives me some hope on him. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was going into this season. I wasn't sure that Ashraf would even be a... Like I thought he would be like maybe a competent and you know long term La Liga player. Like he'll play like that's and that, I remember when I I interviewed Morientes a couple of years ago, um and and he was at that time coaching one what, of Madrid's youth teams. When was this? Teams. When? How come I didn't know about this? <laughs> this was back in um Josh and I talked to him. It was back in um before the death he went. That was uh okay. was in law school. Okay. But yeah, um so we we talked to him and um. He what I asked him was like, well, who do you who do you see being really good? Like, what about, do, do you have anyone that you're keeping your eye on or that you should we should keep our eyes on, right? And he was like, I think that there are a number of players who will be professional, and like that actually, you know, is actually basically what you're looking for at that age, and that's great. And because of course I was like, oh, is there anyone like who's a world class star? And you know, he's not going to choose anyone like that. But I I used to think that Ashraf like. That's sort of where he was. He's going to be a professional. And now I think that he could be a Real Madrid player. I, I didn't think that because he has these level of your right key on defensive instincts that you it's very hard to, to teach. Uh, and actually you can work with a player and, and teach them how to do better crosses. Like I feel like that is definitely something you can learn uh, and have better like offensive, just literal technical ability. I, I That's it's interesting because when we, we saw him, we we kind of both expected him to be more of a better offensive player, but actually he showed incredibly strong defensive instincts and, and he seems very teachable. So I, I have actually higher hope for him now than I did when the season started. Right. And I think those things, actually, a lot of them have to do with confidence because a lot of the things he's he's um, struggling with offensively is just beating his man, dribbling past his man, putting in a good cross. And the things he's excelling at take less confidence to do, whereas just knowing where to be, working hard, um, just being able to put in a good challenge or keeping his man in front of him defensively. And then I think the rest of that stuff would come with better confidence. I think so. I mean, the the crossing, I mean, some of it really is technical, right? Like, it just, yeah. it's literally like working with the coaches and just hitting a thousand of these fucking crosses and, yeah. like, getting your accuracy down. Like... Or knowing you know, this, if it's a cutback, it's a cross, what right. is it? What yeah. type of cross you're looking for, who yeah. the the right player to put it to is. And right now, it just feels like he's kind of hammering it, and he's not picking out a player he's trying to hit it to, which like he's maybe trying to generally get into the center of the area. And like that's not that's not the level we need like at, at Real Madrid. Like he needs to be picking out an individual run that he's looking to hit, you know? Mm. Uh, speaking of that, just really off topic, th- there was one moment in this game really bummed me out when Bale played this beautiful lofted cross, and Ronaldo, if he had done the stupid, um, that shot from uh, Van Persie in the World Cup in twenty twelve or uh, 2014 World Cup, where he got that same lofted cross, but instead of Ronaldo to just jump to try to head it, he dove. <laughs> he would have scored. I was so sure of it. Ah, anyways, um... Speaking of great crosses, uh, 
But yeah, so let's let's take a couple of non-guaranteed uh, questions. Um, just really quickly, Jihan Jihan Watson um, asked us basically just a, another goalkeeper question. Um, Donnarumma, Kepa, and De Gea. Who would you want? Um, oh, not who? This isn't a who would you want question. Oh um, no! So then I, I think instead of yeah, it's a probability question. I'm not going to give an answer to that. I, I well, I don't really have one. I think De Gea, but I actually just really quickly. There were some num- numbers that were floating around about De Gea, Kian, and Ohm. I'm Ohm. I'm sure you saw this, where it showed basically uh, how many saves De Gea made mm. versus like his expected number of saves yeah. in the. It was from like the 19 same and 33 or something. And he it, yeah, yeah they... it was unfathomable. Like it was incredible. And and what he also did was there was another you know set of numbers that popped up, which were they. Uh, I think the numbers were basically like they had a league average percentage and then he just like the 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 numbers of like percent above league average he was and he that destroyed it. Unbelievable. Like so in in baseball we actually have a statistic that talks about league average a lot. Uh and you can really see how how good a player is, you know, and how how much better or whatever. Uh and how useful he is based on that stat and it's basically any stat that ends with the the symbol plus and that means that league average is 150 is 50 percent worse than a uh, league average, and 150 would be 50 uh, percent higher. De Gea is about a 140, uh, so 40 percent better than league average. Whereas Thibaut Courtois, the second best keeper in the Premier League, was 120. That is just a vast, vastly good season for De Gea. He is probably right now the best keeper in the world. I, I, I think. Yeah, I've been yeah. keeping. Yeah. So I've been trying to keep track of Man United at least a little bit because there's players on that squad that I just like personally. For example, Anthony Martial or Martial or however you pronounce his name. He's a player like personally I just like a lot. Um, and one thing I've noticed is like there's this narrative, right, that whenever Mourinho's team nicks like a, a 1-0 win or, or a 2-1 win, it's like Mourinho must have put in his classic defensive masterclass where he sat deep and they defended really well and they didn't allow a lot of chances. When in fact, whenever that's happened, it's been the defending, the f- defensive organization actually being poor, the t- defensive tactics not being that great, and De Gea just pulling out like, 35 million saves a game and like with half of them being just absolutely extraordinary and he in many ways has kept Man United's season alive especially if if you guys saw the Europa League match against uh Sevilla I think it was um De Gea made several crucial saves that Champions prevented League. a much a oh, Champions League pardon me Champions League I've, I've been used to Manchester United being in the Europa League for so long <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was a Champions League game and Sevilla completely outclassed Manchester United and it ended nil-nil because De Gea was just he was just that good and it I was really disappointing because I thought Sevilla had a great chance to pick up a lead going to Old Trafford but simply because of one guy who just wouldn't allow a goal in it, it didn't happen so um, to to go to like Watson Jehan Watson's question, um, the probability um, is really difficult to say. So I don't know about the Donnarumma situation. I kind of lost track of that. But I do. Last I heard, the AC Milan fans still hated him for the whole contract situation, and they put like they they held banners saying like just asking him to leave. And Donnarumma was in tears, but that was several months ago. So I don't know how that's affected him. The Kepa thing, I. 
all I know is we were supposed to get him in the winter transfer window and Zidane said no. So I I don't honestly don't know. I mean, I think as long as Zidane is here, we stick with Navas. I, I don't know. Zidane just has a weird affection for Navas and I like Navas a lot. But for example, the Betis game, like Navas made a bunch of good saves and then he, on the Nacho own goal, he let in a, a shot that was fairly close to his body and he inexplicably let it slip through him and then it was Nacho made a mistake, it was an own goal. And that sums up Navas' season. I mean, he's done that so many times this season where he'll make a lot of good saves and then he'll make one mistake. And it's, I mean, I guess you can say, oh, he made a lot of good saves, so we'll forgive him for that, which, you know, I'm not opposed to, but... That's not world class. It wasn't what we saw from Navas in in 2015-16 when he was off the charts good. And that's why I I didn't understand why we said no to Kepa because Kepa is also a fantastic keeper. So I think as long as Zidane is here, I don't think we're getting another keeper. But if Zidane goes, which is a likely possibility if we don't win the Champions League, then I really don't know because I I feel like we've we've lost our chance of getting De Gea with the fax machine thing. Kepa, I don't think that's I don't, true. I don't think so. I think that Madrid is okay. going to go in on him this season, this summer. That's my feeling. I've been like, just if you're reading the tea leaves here, the the Kepa, the not signing Kepa thing, which was a fucking gimme. It would have been the easiest signing ever, and it's such a fucking gimme, and I'm still annoyed about it. Uh, the fact that they decided not to do that means there's got to be a reason they decided not to do that. The only explanation is that they're. Mm there's going to be some coordinated effort to try to get De Gea or, or Courtois this summer. I think it's one of those two. And I, I don't think it's Donnarumma. I think it's one of those two. I think Florentino wants uh, the absolutely elite of the elite keepers. Uh, and he doesn't probably – I don't think they feel that Kaler is quite there anymore. I like that theory. I like that theory. I mean, I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, I haven't been – Unless they were totally for... irrational and just decided not to get Kepa because they're, stu- they're stupid, which is also a possibility. <laughs> I mean, I just haven't been tracking this as much. So, I mean, what you're saying could be completely correct. Here's the I was stat, by the way. I tracking the fucking Kepa stuff. But, and there's also a lot of smoke about around these two keepers, and this seems like the year they're going to try to go for it. That's just my instinct. Uh, it's just – because, guys, like the Kepa thing was a fucking – nonsense it was it was a i don't understand it at all. Yeah. it was the easiest like i just i'm mind-boggling it's the second time Keon. by the way this is the second time we've like already done you know talked about how much we liked someone and like oh this is already signed this is gonna yeah. happen all this stuff mbappe. and then the person didn't come him yeah. and mbappe this is the second time in like six months has happened to us we have to just stop relying on these reports <laughs> but it's, just, it's infuriating they're both they were they're both gimmies uh, the Mbappe thing, I think they really thought he was going to come, by the way. That's that's another thing. That or they're just stupid, and that's another option also. So, last question. Uh, Can I just interject really quickly? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Sorry, so uh, I'll, I want to say something about Kepa really quick, the probability, but this this is the stat about De Gea it, that you were mentioning. So, he's conceded 19 Premier League goals. This was before uh, the Chelsea game today, So so 20 now. Based on Opta XG data for the shots on target he's faced, the average goalkeeper would have been would have expected to concede 33 goals, which is the biggest differential by any goalkeeper in the league. Alm already mentioned his saves against Sevilla, and he's had various various games and saves this season where I'll just like, wow, what the hell? How did he save that? That was a hundred percent goal. And Alm like took the words right out of my mouth about Manchester United because if you look at the way they're set up defensively. They set up defensively, and but they're not actually defending well. And there's a lot of holes. 
And De Gea basically makes them look way better than they actually are defensively. And to me, like the comparison I, I drew, and I mentioned this on Twitter, was 2005 Casillas, where Real Madrid just could not defend for the life of them. And they also just had no midfield. And Casillas was single-handedly like keeping them in a respectable position in the league. And this is like kind of what we're seeing from De Gea right now. He's like a one-man defensive line, and it's... It's actually unbelievable to watch him play. And I don't care what the probability is. If he's on the table for whatever, just get him. And Donnarumma, I don't know. I, I hate the idea of dealing with Raiola at, at any cost. He's he's probably the most annoying and, and, and worst thing that's ever happened to this earth. And Kepa, I think... It, the probability of him is super low, not only because what Gabe just mentioned that we could have had him for peanuts and we didn't, and we obviously just don't are not enamored with him, but also Bilbao after they suddenly raise his buyout to eighty, eighty-five million or something. Which so is, the probability which of getting him now get is low. A lot. I mean, like that much money is probably enough to get Courtois too. I mean, especially if he doesn't sign a new contract before the season ends. Uh, so, and like, I think it's around the same, like it's around the same probably to get to him. I mean, I just, he's the type of person that comes in and Kaler's good, but this is like transcendent the way he's playing right now. So last question, um, I'm just going to do Nas's, um, shout out to Nas Ryan yet. Jones is basically, basically the same question. Where you been? Nas? Nas? Yeah. yeah, man. Where you been? Um, so who do you start basically in PSG? Do you start the BBC or Isco basically? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I, this is a pretty quick question, I think. So what do you guys think? Uh, how how do you line up in this PSG match? I think I've already hit my hand a little bit, but be interested to hear your points. Um, you go. I, I mean, BBC. <laughs> I, I mean, I've I've been pretty consistent with this opinion because I I don't know Zidane's been doing the four four two a lot, so I guess. Isco, if he if it's in a four four two flat four four two would be the worst thing in the world. But I was not happy to see the diamond versus PSG in the first leg. I mean, it turned out being all right, but I, I, I don't think Emery coached that game well, and I don't think PSG took advantages adv- advantage of of the the holes of of the diamond that like basically every other team has this season. So I mean, I wouldn't take that risk. I mean, it's possible that we play Isco there and we're fine, but. Then you're dropping one of the BBC who had just really hit their stride in the past couple of weeks. And I just don't see why you do that. I, I think it's perfect with the 3-1 lead going into to, to the match to set up in a, in a medium block and look to counter against PSG who, who are susceptible to transitions and are going to really have to attack and look for goals. And I think that's the perfect way to do it. And, you know, you can't leave Ronaldo out of out of a Champions League match. I mean, that's just simply out of the question. Bale is, is the fastest player on the squad or the fastest attacker we have. And then I I would keep Benzema in there because you know, he's looked good the past couple of games and he, he enhances he enhances Ronaldo's play. And I, I, I don't like playing Ronaldo and Bale without Benzema. So that's how I would line up. Um, and that's how I felt for the past month, two months or so, thinking about this matchup. I don't. I, if if it's one or the other, to me, it's BBC. But I don't know why Zidane still hasn't really figured out or not shown interest in playing BBC and Isco together, which is not because yeah, 
Because if Modric and Kroos are out, Isco can play in that central midfield role. He proved under Ancelotti that he's good enough there and that he's disciplined there. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Isco and Kovacic and Casemiro playing there. I mean, that would that would be kind of exciting in my opinion. Yeah, I I thought, you know, for what it's worth, I thought Isco was really good in the first leg against PSG. And his pressing really set the tone in that game. And you can say all you want that the game changed with Asensio and, and all this and... and and, and kind of use that as your argument to say Isco is not conducive to Real Madrid winning games. But um, the dynamic obviously changed at a time where Emery was also making brain farts, tactical brain farts, substitution brain farts. Uh, and those subs from Zidane were genius. And, and Asensio Vasquez Bell completely changed the game. But um, I think, I don't know if, if BBC and Isco are, it's particularly Bale and Isco. I don't know if there's a stat on how many times we've actually seen them together, but I feel like it hasn't been that many. And I don't know if it's because he feels that they would occupy the same area or if he wants to put Bale on the left and Isco can't really play on the right or, or he, I don't, I don't, or he just likes the dimension of Lucas Vasquez and Asensio playing a bit wider. I don't, I don't know why he hasn't really been a fan of playing them both together. I think I think it's because he doesn't see Isco as a central midfielder like Ancelotti did, which I I don't understand. But we know that with Zidane's preference for Lucas Vasquez, that Zidane likes players in more traditional positions, which is why I think Hamas struggled to get so much time because Zidane refused to play him as a central midfielder. And I mean, I I basically think that's it. And if that's the case, right, then usually Modric and Kroos keeps Isco out, and then therefore the only way for Isco to get in there is to play as an attacking midfielder, as a number 10, or on the left. And he won't play on the left because Ronaldo's there. So only when Bale's out, then does Isco get a chance to play. And, I mean, it's a bit it's a bit odd. I mean, I, I understand, in a sense, why Zidane does it. But I think Isco proved himself under Ancelotti that he can play in a deeper and more restricted role and, and be very, very effective there. I mean, I think in a weird way, we, we may not know the answer to this in terms of what's going to happen until the day of. Because... We thought we knew yeah. in the first leg, and we were wrong. And yeah. and maybe Zidane just was like, okay, well, that worked. Just control the game. We're winning by two goals. Let's just keep the ball. And then and then PSG obviously going to push up like crazy in the second half, and then Bale and Asensio will come in and just and rip them on the counter. That's that's one way he might look at it. That's sort like of... we said before. We have no idea what Zidane is. <laughs> yeah, we like have we're, no idea. we're just we're just guessing, really. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that sort of wraps up uh, the show for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back. Um, so next uh, next week we got obviously our patron show, Keon. Um, uh, you're going to do another show with Jonathan Johnson um, to preview PSG. Um, do we have anything else we want to plug, guys? Oh, let's do patron shoutouts. Sorry. Patron shoutouts. Okay. Well, while I'm just digging up the list, I'll just quickly plug something because I, I was too, my mind was too tired to plug it in the last podcast. But um, tomorrow, so on the 26th, we're recording a Churros y Tacticas podcast with David Garrido and Diego Lorin. So send questions to my Twitter if you want. And also, I'm writing a really huge article on Raul, which is going to be big, but I don't know when I'm going to release it. Um, Gabe, do you want anything? Do you want to plug anything while I pull this up? Uh, Evan and I have our show coming out hopefully tonight, maybe tomorrow. Um, about we just <laughs> we talked about a lot of all the stupid stuff that came that people were saying on 
on soccer this week. So um, amazing, Sepp Blatter decided that he he wanted to weigh in on where the World Cup should be in 2026, which is, um, for whatever reason, he thought that was something he wanted to talk about. We obviously... Oh, actually, what I really want to plug is, if you haven't listened to it yet, go listen to our show last week where we talked to Jess um, uh, about (laughs) Marco Asensio um, and his uh, phantom phantom woman who was stalking him. It was awesome. So Audra and uh, uh, and Marco, you can find that on Let's Pick Football, um, on ballondorder.com. You can go there. You can find us on iTunes. But it's it's quite a story. And to the point where uh, we found out that something that – like the jokes we were making about it had filtered their way back all the way to Marco himself. And he heard about this shit and then blocked – this woman on Twitter, so or on on Instagram, which is hilarious. So yeah, check that out. It's quite funny. Um, you have anything to plug before I read patron shoutouts? Nope, I don't got anything. All right, <laughs> shout <laughs> shout out to all three hundred. I got nothing going on. Shout out to all three hundred and three of our patrons. Shout out to these patrons in particular who um who pledge ten dollars or more. Nick DeStefani. Oh, by the way, Nick, I know you you may have been waiting for an answer to your question on this podcast, but just in case you you were wondering, I Sam and I answered your question on the on the midweek Castilla podcast. So shout out to Nick DeStefani. Um shout out to Frederick Sundros, Leon Savronakis, Bjorn Salvador, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Sergio Monleon. Red Bat, Anthony Vasquez, Yahya Ibrahim, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Atiri, Ian Marley, Dan Bertha, new new patron, Dan, welcome, Andrew Gomez, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obade, Daniel Smith, Solomon Ortiz, and Jeanette. Woo! You guys all rule. Thank you. And tell your friends. Uh, and if you want, if you have questions, especially if you're a certain... Uh, person who has like 10 facebook accounts you know you could get us to answer your question by donating <laughs> five dollars a month we'll answer your questions that's not a joke like it, we we have we have agreed to do that so if you're listening to this show and you want us to answer five dollars a month we will answer that question every single time it's <laughs> true <laughs> yes, it's not wrong and if you give us if you give us even more like Ian will write an entire article <laughs> Oh, fuck, Keon, you got yourself into that one there. If there is a hell, it's writing a weekly article about why Kovacic needs more minutes. Yeah. Well, it's great talking to you guys, and uh, we'll talk uh, We'll talk soon. All right, until then, a la madre. A la madre. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius.
One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile. The most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. 